right, so take your Bible and uh, open to Daniel, book of Daniel, chapter 9. It's in the Old Testament, after Psalms, after Isaiah, after Jeremiah, Ezekiel, then Daniel. Um, so we've been away from Daniel for a week, I, I appreciate Samuel, where is Samuel? Right in front of me. Thanks for uh, teaching last week. I heard it was really good and uh, beneficial to everybody, so thanks for doing that. But we're back in Daniel this, this uh, morning, in the ninth chapter. And so as we come to the ninth chapter, we're going to think about a, a prayer that Daniel prayed uh, that actually within the same chapter we have God's answer to his prayer uh, and really a God answered it in a, in a, in a remarkable way. Um, so that, in, in, you, you know, you read most of the chapter and you might feel like, ah, oh, we're back to a normal chapter in, in, in uh, Daniel because it's been kind of weird. And then you get to the answer and you're just like, ah, oh, shoot. Uh, it got weird on me. Um, but we're, here we are. We're going to see what we can get out of it. So let's read the chapter together and then we'll dive in. So Daniel 9. <clears throat> In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah, the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. With fasting and sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly. And rebel, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his ways which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled, who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not 
been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O, o our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. For the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both the vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. All right, let's pray. Father, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant sufficient, 
authoritative and, yes, clear word. Um, Father, we confess that not everything in this chapter is clear to us. Um, but everything that we need to know for life and for salvation is clear in your word. And the things that are hard to understand are almost always very clearly explained in some other part of the scripture. So thank you for your clear word. And uh, I pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see the truth in this passage. Help us to care about what it cares about. Help us to see as important what it says is important. Father, I pray that if we come in here and we see the message of this passage and we are unmoved by it or don't see its importance or are bored by it or whatever, I, I pray that you would, you would um, convict us of that and show us where we have loved too much worthless things and loved too little the things that are eternal. And I pray that you would give us minds to understand this truth and give us hearts to embrace and love it Give us wills to obey what we need to obey. And I pray that you would give me the help that I need to teach it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we are in Dan this is Daniel's prayer. And Daniel is um, an older man at this point. Um, and he's recounting this prayer that he prayed. When he was in the a servant still in the, in the palace of the king of the Medes and Persians, uh, the people of Judah, of which he was a part, um, had been a subjugated people under the thumb and rule of other nations for decades now for practically Daniel's whole life. I mean, Daniel was really young. He was a young, uh, probably 10, 11, 12 years old when, uh, when, when they were first conquered by the Babylonians and he was taken away along with the rest of his people and became a servant in the palace of the king. And for practically his whole life, he, he had been a subjugated person among a subjugated people working in the, in the king. And so Daniel is in this prayer praying for God to deliver them out of the uh, bondage to these other nations. I mean, just like he delivered, he mentioned, made mention of it, just like you delivered your people out of Egypt, deliver us out of this bondage. And it's interesting that he prays and he immediately receives an answer. In fact, he says, uh, he, he's told uh, in verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. So, I mean, God didn't even wait to the end of his prayer to answer his prayer. As soon as you began praying, a word went out. God already knew what he was going to ask, Right? But God, through the angel Gabriel, just like in the last chapter, um, brings the answer to him. And, and uh, the answer he gives in verses 24 to 27, I'll just go ahead and lay it out on the table, is one of the most difficult to understand and debated passages in the whole Bible. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'll give you my take on it, and, and you, you feel free to, I don't know, agree or disagree, I don't know, but I'll give you my take on it. And... Uh, and I, it, from my vantage point, I think it, it is the, it's the best and most encouraging, one of the best and most encouraging answers that 
Daniel could have received to this prayer that he prayed. God answers it better than he prays it. God gives him something better than he asked for. Um, that's, that's what I take away from it. And I think it just shows us God's grace and faithfulness in an amazing way. So I want us to see three things in this chapter that I think are helpful for us to see. Uh, so one of them is this. I want to see in the first two verses Daniel's motivation to pray. Um, what prompted him to pray this prayer? What was behind it? What was the impetus? What was, um, what was his motivation to pray this, this great prayer of the Bible? This is one of the great prayers of the Bible. And then, of course, uh, the bulk of the chapter is Daniel's prayer that we have in verses 3 through 19. And I think, uh, I think it's a, it, like I said, it's one of the great prayers of the Bible. And it's, it's a, I think it's a great model for us in a lot of ways in our own prayer life. Um, so I want to take a look at, at what, what we find in the prayer itself. And then finally, we'll take a look at the answer that he's given in verses 20 through 27 through um, Gabriel and see how I think that God answered his prayer even better than he prayed it. It's pretty sweet. All right, so with that, let's start looking at the chapter and think about Daniel's motivation that we find in the first two verses. So looking at it, again at verses 1 and 2. So in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, don't ever name your kid Ahasuerus. Nobody will know how to say it. Um, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to the prophet, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And then what proceeds after that is the actual prayer. But looking at those two verses alone, I think, uh, show us a little bit at least of what was his motivation to pray this great prayer? What moved him to pray? What prompted his prayer? And I want to notice a few things of it that I think um, were the, the motivation behind this prayer. Um, and, and first of all, the, the first motivation that I see under, behind this prayer is really the theme that has been the theme of Daniel from the beginning. I mean, the constant gong that has been sounding is the sovereignty of God. And, it, and, it, and it's here. The, Daniel's firm conviction of God's sovereign control and his sovereign rule over everything is the primary motivation behind his prayer, what moved him to prayer. In other words, he knows that God is, is in sovereign control of all things. But unlike some people say, I've heard it so many times, but Knowing that God is sovereign over all things, meticulously sovereign, not just watching over everything, not just knowing everything, moving everything, right? I mean, he knows that. He doesn't say, well, then why should I pray? It does the opposite. It moves him to prayer. It moves him to prayer. I mean, I, I've heard so many people say that about prayer. I've heard them people, people say that about evangelism, right? Well, if God already knows or if God's already, if already God's decided who's going to be saved or all this kind of stuff, then why should we pray or why should we even share the gospel? If God already, you know, we don't treat anything else like that. If you had a, if you had a certain knowledge that tonight when you go to bed, 
you're not going to be hungry. You're not going to, you, if you had a certain knowledge that you were, go, you were not going to go to bed hungry tonight, would you still eat lunch and, and dinner? Of course you would, because that is the way that you're not going to go to bed hungry tonight. And if God already knows who's going to be saved, how are they to be saved? Through the preaching of the gospel. And if God already knows what he's going to do, is it not entirely within the realm of possibility that his means of bringing it about is your prayer? Right? So, that's what, that was the primary uh, motivation behind Daniel's prayer. Uh, look, at, look at the verses again. You can see how Daniel believes in God's absolute sovereignty. You might be tempted to just pass over it, but it's there. But in verse 1... He, he mentions, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Daniel doesn't say who was king. He was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Well, who made him king? Well, if you ask the Medes and the Persians, they would say, well, his father made him king, or we made him king, or whatever. But if you ask Daniel that question, Daniel who's writing these words, you ask Daniel who made him king, Daniel would have had an entirely different answer. He probably would have reminded you of what he said back in chapter 2, verse 21, where he says that God removes kings and sets up kings. That's chapter 2, verse 21. So when, when Daniel says in the first year of, uh, or, uh, of Darius, the son of Amin, who was made king, when Daniel says that, he says, whom God made king, whom God put there, right? So Daniel knew that God was ultimately the one who, who, who put an end to the Babylonian empire, and God was the one who now had established another king and another kingdom over Daniel and over the people of Judah. And, and so God was in totally sovereign control over all of it. But when you read verse 2, Daniel says that he'd been reading Jeremiah. Oddly enough, and he knew from, from what God had told the prophet Jeremiah that what the people by God's sovereign plan had been going through under the Babylonians and then the Medes and the Persians, the Peds and the Mersians, was just exactly what God had said through Jeremiah. Just exactly. Here's what, here's what God said in, in, in Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12. This whole land, shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. That's what Daniel was reading. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So things that had played out for Judah and, and for Daniel, just as God had said right there. Daniel knew that the time laid out, 70 years, Started young, old man now. Daniel was figuring that if that's right, then the, the, the number of years, the time frame laid out, has to be possibly coming to an end. And, uh, and notice in verse 2, he says that uh, the number of years of, you know, that, that he said in Jeremiah must pass, must come to pass, must pass, must, might must right so daniel knew that god was 
sovereign over everything that comes to pass. And it didn't keep him from prayer. It drove him to prayer. Like, and, that, and we all know that instinctively. We know that. Like, why else would we pray? I mean, we, we pray for, for God to, to act because we know he's sovereign and can and does act. That's why we pray. So God's sovereignty is one motivation behind his prayer. But notice another, another motivation that we see here. And notice again that not only was he moved to pray because of God's sovereignty, but he was moved to pray because he had been reading Jeremiah. You know? He'd been reading Scripture. And it was what he read in Scripture, namely in the book of Jeremiah, it was what he read there that moved him to pray, not only that, but taught him what to pray for. Moved him to pray and taught him what to pray for. And that's instructive to us. Daniel let the Bible not only move him to pray, pray but showed him what to pray for. That... that um, that is, that's why I prayed at the beginning. I, I asked the Lord, whatever we find here, help us, to, help us to care about what we see here. Help us to find important what it says is important. Help us to, if, if we don't, if, if something else seems more pressing or important to us, and this seems like, eh, Lord, by your sovereign power, change that in my heart. Because that is, the word is a, a, a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And what it says is important is important. And not only should it tell us that prayer is important, but it tells us what we ought to pray for. Right? Uh, we find, what we find, we talked about this in Venture back in February, that what we find in Scripture is God's will. It may not get down... Uh, to the needy gritty, um, it may not. That was a yeah, never mind. It may not tell you exactly what job you're to take, or who you're to marry, or whether or not you should take this tra- class or drop this class, or whatever specific thing you need. You feel like you need to know, but it's going to have for every decision you ever have to make enough wisdom for you to make that decision. And in the, pro- the reason it doesn't just tell you, the reason, reason God doesn't tell you, yeah, you need to drop this class and take this class instead. The reason he doesn't tell you that, thing, that specific thing is so that you have to wrestle with what he has told you, make the decision, therefore proving his wisdom right, and you have grown in, the, in wisdom in the process, right? So what we find in Scripture is God's will, and, and we know that if we pray what, what Scripture says, we know we're praying God's will. And we know that if we're praying God's will, we know He will answer that prayer. They are the most certain prayers. So, not only is God's sovereignty moving Him to prayer, but Scripture is moving Him to prayer. And that gets to the last note, noteworthy thing about, about uh, His motivation. Um, and that is the, that I want to point out, is that is, his prayer is written down in full for us. Along with the answer that comes with it. So, uh, why would Daniel feel compelled to write down his whole prayer for all the world to see? 
and then the answer. I think, speculation on my part, but I think it's to teach us the simple truth that God does hear and God does honor and God does answer prayer. He does do it. All the things that motivated Daniel to pray should motivate us too. God is still sovereign over the world that he made should drive us to prayer. We have the scriptures that teach us God's will and what we ought to pray for, and we have example after example, including this one, that God actually does hear and answer prayer. So we pray. God may not answer exactly as we ask, but God, according to the example given here, will answer better than we ask. You know, even if in the meantime we pray for something that we think would be good and he gives us what feels to be bad, in the long run, that will have proven to be good. And you would have been worse off if you'd gotten what you would ask for. So that, that's the motivation. Let's, let's think about the prayer itself for a minute. In verses 3 through 19. I don't know if you noticed, but this whole prayer is essentially one big repentance. I mean, it's just over and over and over and over again. And it also, it also shows in this repentance just um, for what it's worth. What you find here is a, a, an individual confessing the sins of a whole people. Did you notice that? I mean, when he when he says in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly and rebelled. Sure, Daniel's a sinner just as anybody else is. Romans 3.23 is true for Daniel. But Daniel is, is pretty righteous. In this, he, he is not the one who has utterly turned away from God. He is not one who has just gone his own way. What he is confessing are not entirely his own sins. He's confessing the sins of his whole people. Right? So there is place in the Christian life for you to recognize the sins of the whole and confess them even if you yourself um, don't feel like you have done those sins, those very sins as much as others have. Right? Just note that. But here, is, here he is praying, and he's, at, he's repenting, and he's asking God to do what he said in his word he would do. God had said in Jeremiah that when 70 years are, are up, of punishment and exile, that he would begin his work to rescue them out of that. And so that's what Daniel prays for. And again, he's letting the Bible teach him what he ought to be praying for. And in specific, because uh, he mentions something that was written in the law of Moses. And I think what he has in mind is a passage back in Leviticus. I mean, God had, God had uh, forewarned this thing a long time ago. Uh, uh, when God first gave Israel the law through Moses and brought them out of Egypt and how important it was to keep his law. And, 
Uh, he wanted them to keep, uh, experience his continued blessing. There would be blessing if they kept his law, cursing if they didn't keep his law. Here's the warning he gave way back in the law of Moses in Leviticus 26, verse 43. He says, he warns them then, but the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbath, Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them, and they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurn my rules and their soul aboard my aboard, aboard my statutes. So he told him way back then of the consequences that would come if they refused to walk in his ways. Consequences that definitely did come on them. They were taken away by the Babylonians and then, uh, then the Medes and the Persians. And Jeremiah clarified that would last for 70 years. Daniel knew that passage back in Leviticus. He knew that God had already threatened those things, and he, God was being rightly true to his word by allowing the Babylonians to capture them and take them out of their land and take over their land and subjugate them as a people. God was just in doing that, gave them totally fair warning, and he, he was merely doing what he said he would do. And now Daniel also knew in that what Leviticus 26 said right before that, in verses 40 through 42, God had also said, but if they confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And he would say just a few verses later in verse 45, I will for their sake remember the covenant which... their with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. So Daniel knew that God was right in, in, in all that he had done and the punishment that they had received, but he also knew that God had said when the time of punishment was up, if the people repent of their sin and turn back to him, he would turn back to them and save them and bless them. Daniel knew this, which is why in the opening of his prayer, in verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O oh Lord, great and awesome God who keeps covenant. Where did he learn that? Way back in, Gen in Leviticus. Keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He knew that God had made a covenant. to bless them if they repented. He's a covenant-keeping God. And so what do we find Daniel doing in this chapter? Repenting. Thoroughly so. He said in verse 4, that he began to make confession, and he says in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules, just piling one description upon another of their sinfulness. He says in verse 6 that they haven't listened to the prophets that God sent. In verse 7, he says, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. Say it again in verse 8. And also confess again that they've sinned and they've rebelled and they've not obeyed and refused to obey. In verse 13, he repented of the fact that they had not pray, even prayed for the Lord's favor sooner. I mean, over and over again in this, in this uh, prayer, he just pours out confession, pours out repentance for his own sins and for the sins of the whole people. In the very end of his prayer in verse 18, he says, uh, we do not present our pleas 
before you because of our righteousness. They don't have any. But because of your great mercy. I just think, your thought that if, if God came down so hard and so justly on his own people, um, Israel and then Judah, you wonder, you, can you attribute it to anything other than mere mercy and grace that he hasn't come down harder on people who are not his covenant people? Um, I just, the, the stories of, of wickedness abound in our own land. Um, that God would bring us to repentance as he did Daniel. God's a merciful God, but his mercy will not contradict his justice, so it should drive us to repentant prayer. Well, the most beautiful thing in this chapter uh, is also the most obscure thing. Uh, comes immediately when Daniel prayed. because um, The answer comes. And that's not to say um, that we will always know and hear and see the answers to our prayer immediately. It's not to say that at all. Um, but it, it ought to teach us that prayers do most certainly, answers most certainly do come to our prayers, just as they did for Daniel. Because, uh, you know, it's in James, or um, he says, you know, uh, Elijah prayed for uh, no rain, and it didn't rain, and he prayed for rain, and it did rain. He's a man just like ours, like us. He puts his tunic on one leg at a time, and... Um, it's not the person praying, it's the, it's the prayer and the God who hears the prayer. And so uh, the fact that Daniel received an answer immediately should assure us that while we may not know the answer immediately, we should rest assured that our prayer is not falling on deaf ears with God. Right? And I want us to think carefully about this answer that he received. Um, he tells him amazingly in verse 23, like I mentioned earlier, at the, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. And so God had answered Daniel's prayer before he even finished his prayer. And he's going to answer it better than Daniel even asked it. But I want to note that, that second thing. So we already mentioned that he, at the beginning of his prayer, the answer went out. But just note there, God says, for you are greatly loved. If, 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 you are, if you are trusting in Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are greatly loved. Like, there will be times of anxiety and fear in your life where you, 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 you feel very keenly your, your sin and you, you can't imagine that God would want to give any good to you. Um, or you just have a misconception of your, in your mind of you, you just walk around with this feeling that the other shoe's about to drop. <laughs> you know? That is not the God of the Bible. When, when, when God answers his prayer, he says, I'm a, I, my word's already gone out to answer your prayer, and I just want you to know you are greatly loved. Every answer that God gives to any of your prayers 
or anything that God ever does in your life, whether you pray for it or not, has love behind it. Just know that. God is not vindictive. God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That's behind all that he does. So Daniel was praying that God would deliver them from the hand of those who oppressed them. So just like you brought them out of Egypt, please bring us out of Babylon. Please bring us out of Persia, out of the land of the Chaldeans. Let us go back to Israel. Let us go back to Jerusalem. Let us rebuild the temple. Let us offer sacrifices according to your law. Let us go back to our homeland and and obey your ways. That's a very faithful prayer from a very faithful Jew. But God knew that he had more planned. And so God already knew that a New Testament was on the way. All right? I don't have time, I assure you. I assure you, I don't. Uh, To lay out why I understand the way, this, this answer the way I do understand it. Um, uh, I'll just lay out how I do understand it. And if you want to talk more, we'll talk more. So Gabriel comes and he, and he comes to Daniel, and in verses uh, 24 through 27, he explains to him that God had ordained 70 weeks to answer his prayer, in answer to his prayer. Um, most say this, these weeks are, are numbers of years, and if you took that literally, that would be 490 years. Um, I, some people take these as literal numbers. Sometimes it, people think there's gaps between these numbers because 490 years later, it wouldn't signify anything specific. So um, anyway, I, I don't take them necessarily um, as literal, I, I see Daniel much like I see Revelation, which much of it is symbolic, even the numbers. Um, and, and so I think what, what, what Daniel um, or what Gabriel describes in verse 24 uh, will be the product of these figurative 70 weeks. Uh, and so look at this. So verse 24 says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. If you didn't know better, you might think he was describing what Jesus would come and do. Doesn't he, in a sense, put an end to sin? Now, Certainly, he will fully and finally put an end to sin when he comes again. But that process was set in motion when he came the first time. Right? So doesn't he put an end to sin? Doesn't he atone for iniquity? Doesn't he bring in everlasting righteousness? Indeed, he does everything mentioned in that list. So I, I, my view is that these 70 weeks are pointing to the coming of the Messiah in answer to Daniel's prayer. So the 70 weeks are divided up. He says what would happen in the first seven weeks, then the next 62 weeks, and then the last week, the 70th week. And the first, the first seven weeks, I believe, are, are teaching that just like you've prayed for, Daniel, yes, 
Jerusalem would be rebuilt and the temple would be rebuilt. You will be able to go back home. That happens under Ezra and Nehemiah and, 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 and those guys. They do rebuild the walls. They do rebuild the city. They do rebuild the temple. Sacrifices do resume for seven weeks. But I think those 62 weeks, the next 62 weeks, be a troubled time um, or the period of time until the Messiah would come. And that last week would describe the work of the Messiah himself. When it says in verse 27, uh, he shall make a strong covenant. I think that's talking about the new covenant that we're living under right now. And that would happen with his appearance. In other words, I think Daniel, God is telling Daniel through Gabriel that what you prayed for, Daniel, um, that about the work of rebuilding Jerusalem and, and, and the temple, that's a good and faithful prayer, and I'm going to answer that prayer, and you will go home, just like I said to Jeremiah. You will go home under Ezra, under Nehemiah. All that will be rebuilt, just like you've prayed for. But I want you to also know that the day is surely coming when, when the Messiah himself would come, and he would actually put an end to sin, no longer need sacrifice. He will ultimately atone for iniquity. He will bring in everlasting righteousness. Not long after he comes, the Messiah, um, the temple would be utterly destroyed again, never to be rebuilt again, A.D. 70. That was in the lifetime of the, the apostles that the temple was destroyed after, uh, after Jesus' first coming. Interestingly enough, we're going to study Hebrews in the fall and spring. Um, one reason to believe that Hebrews was written uh, a little earlier in the first century than later is because it makes so much talk of the temple and things like that. Temple and sacrifices probably wouldn't have done so much of that if it had been written after AD 70 when all that had been torn down and done away with. That's neither here nor there. But... Um, I think what what uh, I think all that that might have been a shock to Daniel when he got this answer. I don't think it was though. God had just told him something even better was coming, better than he asked for, more than the temple. God would come, more than daily sacrifices. One sacrifice was coming that would that would uh, be one sacrifice for all. And we'll have a lot more to say about that when we study Hebrews. Well, we're not told exactly how Daniel responded to this revelation given to him. I can only imagine it, though. Daniel wouldn't have lived long enough to see it all happen, but he had just heard with his own ears that the wheels were already in motion to send the Savior, to send the Messiah. And we live on the other side of history from Daniel, and we've already seen it play out, and play out just like God had said. That's pretty awesome.